Amen. Is this your pen, uh, brother? Okay. It's, a, it's uh, sweet to catch up with everyone in the morning, but then it, uh, it does compress us as the morning goes on, doesn't it? Well, bless the Lord. We are going to continue our study in Ephesians chapter 4. And might not quite end the chapter, but I think we'll at least get to verse 30. And verse 31 really starts into chapter 5 anyway, so Sean will take that section, Lord willing, next week. Mm -hmm. All right. Let us uh, read a a portion of the chapter, shall we? We'll break in in verse 20. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, we again look together into the Holy Scriptures, earnestly desiring, Lord, and purposing to be in that happy company that hear hear and heard the Word of God and keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Lord, we ask that you'd be with our hearts and our minds to understand, to yield, to obey, to take hold of the truth and to live that Christ may dwell in us, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last time we were looking at the fact that through his death and resurrection... Jesus obtained salvation for his people and for all who will trust in him. And that whoever is baptized into Jesus Christ is baptized into his death. 
right? Buried with him by baptism into death, raised in newness of life. And so by being born again, you have put off the old man and have put on the new man. God has done that for us. We've established that. And on that basis, we then put on practical holiness. We put off old things of the world and put on new things. Not, we're not putting off the old man. We've done that already by trusting in Christ who did it for us. And that ensures the victory. This is the thing. So many people think they're fighting with the old man. Perhaps they are. And this is the whole problem. You need to be born again. But having been delivered. Remember the, the, um, the allegory of Jesus having brought us into Canaan, into the promised land. Every, soul, every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon shall be yours. Then the believer walks with utter confidence, knowing that in every circumstance in his life, Christ is his possession. The forgiveness of Christ to everyone that has injured, that is your inheritance in this life. The love of God to the most unlovely person, that is your inheritance in this life. It's not something you and I have to conjure up and to strain at. It's something that is ministered and shed abroad in our souls by the Holy Ghost. We observed uh, the reality that there are areas in our human, conscious, emotional, intellectual, thought, will, experience that can feel, and in real time, like you know, they have chariots of iron. This is a hard remnant of the old to dislodge. Nonetheless, Persist in faith because you need and I need to believe God, not feelings. Since the whole failure of so many Christian people is they live by what they feel instead of by what's true. Uh, every, every area of knowledge that is accessible to us, we can be wrong in. We can be deceived in. We can be manipulated. Uh, physical feelings. And we, we all probably are aware of, um, you know, various experiments. They've done surgery on people and they've tinkered with the brains. Um, I heard of somebody, I think his hand was severed and it was reattached, the marvels of modern um, surgery. And they connected some of the, the uh, nerves wrong. And so when he sticks his hand in cold water, he feels heat. And if he's... That goes in a fiery field's cold. They got his nerves crossed. Um, I remember as a young man, a colleague at work, recounting a documentary or something. Someone had probes in his brain. They would apply some stimulus to a certain part of his physical brain. He's, oh, I can hear music. And even today, the, the um, powers that be, with their military intelligence and so on... Um, they have various um, electronic weapons whereby they can instill thoughts into the minds of people. Did you know that? They, they have, in fact, they can, they can um, through various waves and pulses, they can make you hear something in your mind, almost as if it's audible, telling you to do something. It's so important uh, for the Christian to know God. 
um, a weapon like that, you would not want to obey it as if it's God, you see. You have to know the Lord and that he would never tell you to do certain things. Satan gets into people's heads. But you can be deceived in your very feelings and what you perceive to be real. You can be deceived uh, intellectually. You can get your thoughts wrong, even in math, you know. Um, we can just make mistakes. Um, emotionally, uh, people feel, you know, I just felt nobody liked me, but everybody loved you, you know. Every area can be mistaken. But the one thing in life that's sure is the Word of God. And you and I want to make a habit of believing God's Word in the face of everything that presents itself to contradict it. That is the way forward. And this was Joshua's whole thrust to the children of Israel. Thou shalt drive them out, though they have chariots of iron, and though they be strong. And that is the attitude of the Lord Jesus toward us as well. Don't you ever accept defeat. Don't you ever accept any intimidation of the devil. Don't you accept any lie that tells you you're going to be anything less than a child of God fully conformed to the image of Jesus. Because that's the truth of the gospel. And don't believe anything else. God has promised you this. Hallelujah. You're, even your body's going to look like him. When we see him, we shall be like him. A glorified body. Hallelujah. And uh, that is the hope to which we press. And if, uh, if we are knocked down, it's that we get up to. And go on. This is the race. This is a prize that is at the end of our race. Full conformity to Christ Jesus in every particular. And that process has begun now. And you go from glory to glory, from victory to victory, with an unstoppable conqueror within you. Even Jesus, who's greater than anything in the world. That's a faith, brethren. And let's encourage each other in that. So that's what we looked at last, uh, last week. Here I wanted to just touch on verse 20. Here, this is, uh, you have not so learned Christ. I know this is a, a bit going even further back. You have not so learned Christ, verse 21, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. We are called to a person, not to a creed. Have you heard him? <laughs> you don't just believe something you believe someone that's what he said to the woman at the well he said woman believe me the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship God we're called to a person this was Paul's complaint to the Galatians we'll just touch on a few things on this um, uh, theme as we delve into the practical holiness that comes in the remainder of the chapter. Galatians chapter 1. Paul, as he's greeted them, and uh, in verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He didn't say, I, I'm amazed that you've so recently got your theology confused. He says, you've left him. <laughs> um, it is a cliche but it's the truth, and it better be true for you and me. 
that Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship with the Creator that is real. And if you merely have a belief in a God that's distant, that answers your prayers, you're not in what God wants you in. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day when Adam wasn't having the indwelling spirit. Adam had the outwelling spirit. How much more does he walk with those in whom he dwells? And if you and I lack, then it's ours to seek. But that's the thing. Paul says you've removed from him. Even there, remember we we did that series on the assembly right there in in the beginning in Exodus chapter 20. And the pe- verse 21, and the people stood afar off and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Drew near. Exodus 33. <clears throat> verse 8, and it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Jesus said, I've called you friends. This is the intimacy that God wants for his people. And don't be content with a distant, aloof, you know, don't get up and say your prayers. Pour your heart out unto him that loves you. Draw nigh to God. This is the thing. And Paul says, look, you've not so learned Christ if you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Brethren, let us not be followers of a creed but disciples of the living, risen Christ. Even there, Elijah, and we won't look at it in 1 Kings 18, I think, where, you know, he's bringing the people back from their backslidings. He said, come near unto me. He's going to prepare this sacrifice. This is a prophet's voice speaking on behalf of God. Come near unto me. Moses drew near. Joshua wanted to linger. The people stood afar off. Not too close, Lord. We still want to kind of have our own way of doing things. What a shame. Not so in the new covenant, God forbid. He says, if you've been taught by him, that you've put off. Have you heard from Jesus that he has put off from you, the old man, and that he has put on you, the new man? That's the thing. And you'll be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Right? And from the basis of having the spirit of your mind renewed, then you can renew your actual thoughts. The trouble with so many people, they're dominated by just an evil spirit in their mind. Their mind's so down and dark and negative and twisted. But once you have the Holy Spirit, you can begin to renew those thoughts. Not just become an optimist. 
for the sake of optimism. It might actually rain tomorrow. You can't just say, oh, it'll be sunny tomorrow, especially in this country. It might rain. But hope in God. Not just a positive thinker, but somebody that knows we're going to be raised from the dead. Right? Uh, hope that all things are working together for good. Your mind's renewed. You're not defeatist, but hopeful, believing. You're renewed in the spirit of your mind, and then we can be renewed in the individual thoughts. And he takes us here into some of that. Wherefore, right? You've put on the new man. He's created in righteousness. All of this is done. So you've got a new heart, a new spirit. The spirit of your mind has been uh, renewed. You've put off the old man. You've put on the new man. Therefore, right? Verse 25. Because of all of this, Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And I've struggled with this verse. Lord, why is this even necessary to write to Christians? I really had to think about it for a while, but um, we live in, a, in an age, you know, <laughs> the gospel's been in the world nearly 2,000 years. And we live in a country, although it is sliding down really fast, the whole Western world has had a very profound, it has been profoundly impacted by the gospel. And some of the things that were common in Roman society, even though they had very good laws, comparatively speaking, we would think unthinkable today. Religious people... Um, <clears throat> And I suppose they, they would happen in some places now, in some religions. But uh, the high priest, right? So Paul says, I've, I've lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. And the high priest tells somebody nearby, smack him in the face. Hits him in the mouth. Right? It wouldn't have been a just like, like it would have stung. It wouldn't have knocked his teeth down his throat. This is in a religious setting. He wasn't just in a rage. This was, dare you speak like that, whap. Now just imagine that this was a commonplace thing in religious circles that you could be smacked if you were felt to be stepped out of line. We would, this scandal, can you imagine if a single person that any of us knew in any of the churches hit somebody in any kind of an angry way it would be the talk of the town. We would all be scandalized. Everyone would be wondering if the person was saved. We would just be horrified at the thought. But this was a commonplace. In society, um, even in, in uh, Western society, you know, people would be challenged to a duel. And they take the men would wear their gloves, the, the chivalry and the gentry. You know, they'd take off his glove and he'd... Box a fellow across the face with a glove. Slap him. And that was a challenge to a duel. You've insulted me? That's a challenge to a duel. And we're going to meet tomorrow at such and such a place with swords. Or later when they had the one-shot pistols. And we're going to fight to the death over this insult. What a crazy, crazy society. This was a commonplace. This was in polite society. In the time of the Lord and the apostles, you know, for, for an insult or in reaction to an insult, a man would smack you across the face. 
wasn't a rare thing. We would, it's just, our whole society, like, nobody does that, except, you know, somebody that's now fixing to get the police involved. Assault. You dare touch somebody in an unwelcome way. But it was a commonplace. You wouldn't have a Roman soldier, the police come in, you box that guy. It just was just not a thing. It was part of life. And so we need to get back to the starting point is that lying was a common thing. And the way it's put here, we would because we have been so Christianized, we would think that, you know, well, you shouldn't be telling even white lies. Well, we'll get to that, but that's the last stop. <laughs> that's the last stop. The first stop is much more uh, degraded than that. Let's turn to... Uh, Zechariah chapter 8 from where the apostle gets this commandment. <clears throat> we'll... Uh... <laughs> My enemy. All right. Clock. We'll, we'll read the chapter anyway. Uh, Breaking in verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion... And will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts. The holy mountain. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. There shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem. And every man with his staff in his hand for very age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I'll bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness." Thus saith the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, ye that hear in these days the words by the mouth of the prophets, which were in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was built, that the temple might, excuse me, that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before these days there was no hire for man, nor any hire for beast. Neither was there any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. For I set all men, every one, against his neighbor. But now I will not be unto the residue of this people as in the former days, saith the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give her fruit, and the ground shall give her increase. And the heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And it shall come to pass that as ye were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and ye shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, as I thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, saith the Lord of hosts, and I repented not, so again have I thought in these days to do well unto Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear ye not. These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. 
and love no false oath. For all these things, excuse me, for all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore love truth and peace. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go speedily and pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now I think I understand the biblical and historical, the immediate context of that. He makes direct reference to earlier um, and to a passage that was in... Um, uh, oh, I think getting mixed up now. It was in Ezra. Yes, in Ezra. When they laid the foundation of the temple... And there was a great noise. The young people were rejoicing. Glory, hallelujah. And the old men were weeping. The young people were excited because they'd only known desolation. And now the temple foundation was laid. The old men were weeping because they remembered as little boys seeing the glory of the old temple. And it was destroyed and all that was left was being rebuilt. But between the lot of them, they were all making a noise. And he says, remember when the foundation of this house was laid. I think later in the book, I haven't been reading Zacharias, uh, there'll be a prophecy to Zerubbabel. His, his uh, hands have laid the foundation and his hands shall finish it. And there's a prophecy there that the temple shall be finished and that God would um, bless the people again. But if we look closely at the details, as with David, as with Solomon, as with Joshua, it was never really fully fulfilled in the Old Covenant because the real fulfillment of all of these promises are in Christ Jesus. It's in the Gospel era that these things were really fulfilled where ten people would go to a literal Jew, an apostle, and say, we've heard that God is with you. Or uh, um, one that was scattered through the persecution. It was literally fulfilled that they came. Jerusalem was the joy of the whole earth at that point. In the days of Christ there were Greeks that came up to the feast. And they said to the apostles, sir, we would see Jesus. It began with Christ and after the outpouring on the day of Pentecost. These things were literally fulfilled. This is a new covenant passage. And in the midst of it, the Lord says... These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And this is the thing that the apostle is getting at. He says, um, uh, <clears throat> Wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. 
This is, this is put out here <clears throat> as um, uh, uh, cynic dokey. I'm getting them, you know, only after about 50 times of looking them up. Right? Where the part is spoken for the whole. Uh, you speak truth to your neighbor, basically is you're only doing good to your neighbor. Uh, let none of you imagine, right? So we've got Zechariah 8 and Ephesians 4 parallel here. Let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. Right? The Lord doesn't mention murder and adultery and all of those things. Although they were common. We have to understand people were selfish and at enmity. Paul writing to Titus says that, you know, we also were once foolish, hateful and hating one another. And people lie to each other. They lie to people they work with. It's awful. <clears throat> um, all the time, all sorts of things. You know, they, they um, thinking there's the most malicious kind of lies. Where you're lying to bring the wrath of either the, the civil authorities or the social uh, group on someone. Uh, <clears throat> this is done to the Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> Verse 57, and there arose certain and bear false witness against him. This was a commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. This is what they're doing. They bear false witness against the Lord. But their witness not, agreed not together. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him. Saying, we heard this man say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And within three days I will build another made without hands. Now that was a lie. That's not what Jesus said. He simply said destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it again. But he spake of the temple of his body. They misrepresented his words. Only slightly. Changing the meaning sufficiently. And they were witnessing against him. To bring judgment, condemnation and death upon him. This is the first and wickedest, the most evil form of lying. Right? You're, you're, <clears throat> and so you can see this kind of thing. If somebody hates somebody else, they want to destroy them. Either to the authorities, to their employer, or to the society around them. And they bear false witness against them. And to bear false witness against somebody, you have to bear it to somebody. You're telling someone a lie about someone else. And you say, now don't do that. They used, people used to do that. Their next door neighbor, they don't like the guy. For whatever reason, he plays his music loud. He leaves his donkey to eat his bushes. I don't know what the issues are that people... And so they go and lie about it. We, we have someone with a bit of a Swedish accent, eh? That um, used to have a neighbor that lied about him to city council. Wicked, hateful things. <clears throat> to destroy him. Happens all the time. Happens in the workplace. <clears throat> it's an evil thing. God forbid. And we, we look. And I look at you. And I think. Lord why am I even going to expound this. It's so redundant. In our midst. Thank God. But. At least we can understand the scriptures. The background. And there will be something that. Perhaps we can take from this as well. Gives us an understanding as to what's going on in the world. 
This is where you were, though. And he's saying, now don't do that anymore. Don't let any of these old habits remain. But this lying, and you know, we don't want any part of this. Later, writing to the Ephesians, Paul would say, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And if you or I are in the company of people who are lying about someone and trying to destroy them, we should reprove that. Have no fellowship with it, not even by silently just going along with it, but reprove it. That's not right. He did it, oh, well, then get him here. He's not here to defend himself. There could be a better explanation. This is not right to speak of someone like that. Have no fellowship, right? With those kinds of things. God forbid it should ever even enter our hearts to lie about someone like that. And that would be the first, um, the first level of, uh, of lying <clears throat> like that destructively. Um, to cause social or judicial punishment. What about this deceit to get gain? Right? Um... Probably in our day, uh, cars are the easiest way to trick somebody, right? Uh, used car salesman is proverbial as a shady character, right? You might refer to someone, oh yeah, that guy's a used car salesman. just means he's a liar and misrepresenting something to get money out of you, selling you a piece of junk. But think about how this can work, right? So... Somebody has a car they want to sell, and it's got problems that are not obvious if you're just driving it for the first time. But the person, so the person selling it knows this problem is there, and they, but they know that the person they're selling it to doesn't know that. And so they can charge a higher price. And then after it's sold, and a month or six months down the road, when this problem materializes, said oh yeah this happens oh really oh I'm so sorry oh that was such a good car oh I feel really bad and well no it's not your fault these things happen and so he has lied to his neighbor and used that lie to get money out of him while pretending to be sympathetic even though they'll be quote unquote friends this kind of stuff happens all the time it's terrible that's just a picture um, I, I have uh, one of my the young men, he's probably, he's probably older than you, I was not thinking. These boys I used to coach cricket, they're grown, they have families. He's from another country, I won't mention the country because I don't want to defame anybody or anything. And, uh, but he said, sir, I would not go back there. And why is that? And he told me about something very, very kind that... Uh, in the interest of time, I won't tell you the whole story, that somebody had done from here, a complete stranger. His father had died in a car accident, and he was at fault. No, he didn't die in the accident. He died after the accident, sometime afterwards. But it, he was at fault. It was serious. And so now he was being charged. And by the time it got to court, the man had died, and so his son is representing him in court. And... He's telling them, like, you know, dad's dead. But he didn't have the right paperwork. So the judge, like, you don't have the right paperwork. You've got to go and, and he's just frazzed here. 
And so he went out to try and deal with it. And a lawyer, or um, I think it was a lawyer, came out after him and said, hey, I, I can help you. And he took him and he guided him through the process, got him to write paperwork. And because he was a lawyer, he could sign it and got him looked after. An hour later, the same day, he was able to go in the courthouse and get it sorted out. And uh, the man said to him, my dad died last month. He was a complete stranger. He said, sir, this kind of thing happens in Canada all the time. Back home, it would happen, but it's so rare you could say it never happens. My cousin, you know, my uncles, they, they own furniture. They own a furniture store and they gave us, you know, this nice furniture for our wedding. But then when we came there, they had sold that and just brought the junk and said, no, no, this is what we had given you. This is family. And the, the, the lying for gain in, amongst family. These things are common in the unsaved world. People exploiting one another. Oh, we don't want to talk about the family fights over the will. It, it's just, I've just got it to think about it. When a parent dies, parents die and they leave an inheritance. And the children are fighting about the money and the property. I know somebody where the, oh, the family's busted up. One of the siblings, or two of them, just closed ranks, got a hold of the will, took all the money, gave them a few scraps, driving fancy new cars. Awful. And the apostles saying, like, this is of the old corrupt creation. Let it not be amongst you. Proverbs, um, Proverbs says this. Proverbs uh, <clears throat> Chapter 3, early in Proverbs, there's a principle. Love thy neighbor as thyself. But this word neighbor is a believer. <clears throat> Verses 27 to 29 of Proverbs 3. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. This can be a number of things. You've got the man's pledge. And he's come for it, right? Remember in the Old Testament... Um, <laughs> You're going to lend somebody. It's not like our throwaway Walmart society. Things had value. You couldn't just go and get one. You were making things. And things cost time. Your wheelbarrow was precious. If your neighbor wanted to borrow it, you didn't want him to make off with it. Again, we, we, we can't imagine that. And I'm so blessed with that, the fruits of the gospel. But it helps us to understand what was going on. And so he'd give a pledge. You know, here's my, my hoe or my, my mantle. And it's not like he has six more at home when he, or he can just get one for cheap at Walmart. He needs this. He's going to be cold without it. And so he comes back for it. Here's my wheelbarrow. Well, you've got an extra coat. You've lent it to your son so you can have it. Whatever. Uh, I want my pledge. Oh, um, I don't have it. I, I put it up there for safekeeping. I'll get it for you tomorrow. It's a lie, you see. Don't say that. Or your neighbor has come to borrow something. Oh, I haven't got it. 
This is a lie. If it's there in the house, right? Or wages. He's done some work for you. You've agreed to pay him. Oh, I don't have it. But you have it right there in your house. So say not to thy neighbor, go again. Go and come again and tomorrow I'll give thee when thou hast it by thee. Right? This is lying for convenient person doesn't want to part with it. They're, they're running the person around, defrauding. He said, don't do that. Right? He's, he's putting it in the negative. Putting away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. <clears throat> what about this to the Lord Jesus again? Mark chapter 12. Feigned words. verses 13 to 15. And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? And the Lord dealt with them. Again, this is a lie. They didn't believe he came from God. They were setting him up. They were flattering him to manipulate him, to catch him at his words so that they could use it against him. Right? Again, we want to be honest in all our conversation. Here's what I think. What do you think? It's just an honest exchange. It's not an attempt to try and beat the person or you know that they think something controversial so you're trying to get them in trouble over it. Again, I'm saying these things and I'm thinking this is... We might as well be having a Swahili lesson or something. I don't imagine it really has any bearing on the lives of this company. But to understand these things, to reprove them at least, and to keep ourselves uh, pure from all of these things. In, um, oh, I've moved on from a uh, passage in Zechariah there, and I'm back at it. Let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor, right? Speak ye every man truth to his neighbor. It's righteousness. For we are members one of another. Do you see it, brethren? In the world, you've got these people, every man's trying to survive. The worldly saying is this a dog-eat-dog world out there, right? Everyone's in it for himself and his, his family that is with him, as long as they're getting along. And they'll lie and manipulate and connive, even amongst friends. I worked with a man many years ago now, before, my, before we had any children. He said, if you can't gouge your family and friends, who can you gouge? In terms of overcharging. And there, he, 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 he used to moonlight, you know, use the company's shop to do work after hours. He had an agreement with the employer, uh, the owner, and he'd pay him a certain amount. But he stole a couple of sheets of melamine out of the inventory. They're like $30 a piece, $60. He was getting... Over $1,000 for this project. He stole $60 worth of goods from the employer. I was so grieved. I didn't know what to do. You don't want to go around as a tail bear. And Fortunately, the manager came and asked. And he, 
I heard him telling the other guy. That's how I knew he had stolen because he was whispering with the other guy. He knew not to tell me that stuff, but I overheard it. Now what do I do? The manager came out and asked, hey, have you seen those other sheets? I said, oh, why don't you ask so-and-so about it? Um, I just innocently lied. And then he said, okay. And then I said, oh, by the way, so-and-so, the manager was asking about the sheets. I told him to ask you because, you know, I thought you might have used them. Thanks, you know. But I managed to kind of get that sort of sorted out without telling on him and without, you know what I mean, just kind of worked a bit of good and fair play there. That's grief. He's stealing from the man that's doing him good. And, perfect, you know, and he'll have jokes with him and so on. Just loyalties only to themselves. And this is the thing. He said, lie, lie not one to another. And this lie here, right, putting away lying, it puts it, it's, it's Colossians that says, lie not one to another, seeing you have crucified the old man with his deeds. I think that's how it puts it in Colossians. Let me quickly look at that. Parallel passages. Paul, if I understand Paul, he wrote the Colossian letter first and then refined it further for the uh, Ephesians. Yeah, Colossians 3.1. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Same same idea, and have put on the new man. This is a synecdoche. I'm going to get that word right. And it's spelled like synecdoche, S-Y-N-E-C-S-Y-N-E-C-D-O-C-H-E. Weird word, uh, synecdoche. And instead of synecdoche, it's synecdoche. So I don't make the rules. I'm just struggling to learn them. Um, but the part is here for the whole. Speaking truth is here for the whole thing of working good to your neighbor. Putting away lying is put here for the whole thing of working evil against your neighbor. Paul could have said, work no evil against your neighbor. Put away all malicious intent, all harmful intent and behavior, and work only good towards your neighbor. This is what he's saying. He's getting it from this passage in Zechariah, and it does explicitly say that. Speak ye every man truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. This is a thing. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling of his law. For your members, one of another. Paul is taking... Through the gospel, God is taking people out of the heathen world, degraded in idolatry, worshipping devils, giving their bodies to uncleanness, hateful and hating one another, and he's making them members of one another, members of his own body and partakers of the Godhead. This is from darkness to light. Now, brethren, in that respect, we have room to grow. God wants us as close with one another as the Father is with the Son. Look around this room, scattered as we are. I mean, at least, you know, the, the, this, the, the sidewalk side is close. They all sit on the one side. I'm always thinking the building's going to tip. I mean, people have dribbled out now. And everyone else dribbles in later. It just looks so lopsided at the start of meeting. But, brethren, this is your family. Are you that close with them in your heart and in your life? We need to be so far from being a Sunday church. You're members one of another. This is the reason you work no ill but good, right? Putting away all 
evil imaginings work only good with you, brother and sister, because you're members one of another. How far is your finger from your thumb? Attached, they go everywhere together. They work together. There's a bit of conflict at night in your body, right? If you get up in the night, you ever wake up in the night looking for the bathroom? Three in the right? And so the eyes and the toes are in conflict, right? The eyes want the lights off and the toes want them on so the toes don't get kicked on a piece of furniture or something, right? So there are those occasions where the body doesn't quite work perfectly together, but for the most part, Anyone ever kicked a piece of furniture that's left askew? You know, everything was put away, we thought, but somebody left that chair out, and I didn't want the eyes to really shock me in the night, so my little toe finds the edge of that chair leg, right? That's, the body's not working that well together then, but normally, everything's working together. Goes everywhere together, all together. You don't see the, like, <laughs> the fist like just thumping the thigh or something, right? It's just not a thing. You're members one of another. What about the white lie? Now, I'm just calling it that because that's what the world calls it, right? That's everyone. I didn't get a job because I wouldn't tell a white lie. <laughs> I'll spare you this story. But um, the, the lady, you know, she said at the end, normally I know right away if I'm going to hire the person but I don't just tell him right there in the interview, you're not getting a job because it's kind of cold. I just tell him, okay, I have your application. I'll consider it. And a few days I phone them and tell them someone more suitable got the job. But you, you have to be flexible, you know. You're not, I'm not hiring you. I was going to hire you until this point where I wouldn't tell a white lie. I said, well, madam, at least you know that if I will never lie for you, I'll never lie to you. And she said, I was just a teenager, but I thought, this is obvious, right? I thought this was a... She said, I hope none of my employees would ever lie to me. I was just stunned at how short-sighted she was. I, I didn't say it, but I thought to myself, if I would lie for you to save your skin to the customer, then I would lie to you to save my skin from you. I didn't think this was that complicated. She just thought... How could you suggest such a thing? But when she was telling me the kind of lie I should do, you know, to tell a client why they didn't get their delivery, and I said, no way, I'm never doing that. And she tells her husband, and he comes in, oh, a white lie, big grin, like we all know what that is. It's a good thing. Right? Why do people tell white lies? Not, not the evil to try and get someone in trouble with the law or society. Not deceit to get gain. Not, um, not feigned words to catch someone out. This is not the evil intent. Usually these so-called white lies, that's why they're called white. They're good lies, right? They're to avoid problems. And they don't hurt anybody. That's supposed to be the idea. Um, I was late. I know it's hard to imagine, but I was late. But I'm so embarrassed. Sean's going to look at me. So I just make up something, right? You know, car broke down or something. It's a white lie. It's a lie. And we could, I mean, you could just fill in the blanks. These kinds of things happen all the time. Yeah, I've, I've 
I mean, people take more seriously than I, than I mean it. But I've said, if your mother-in-law asks you, do I look overweight? The answer is always no. Um, <laughs> you just never tell your mother-in-law that she looks overweight. This is just obvious. Now, I, it's a joke, right? It's a joke. Um, and people have given me a bit, not many, a bit of stick, you know, encouraging like, no, no. I mean, we can talk about that. She's not really asking you what you think. She's just really saying, please tell me I don't look overweight. That's really her question. And so, okay, you don't look overweight. Um, but these, these things are meant to avoid awkward situations and getting in trouble and all of that. But they're not meant to harm. But brethren, we should have no cause of that. We should be able to be transparent with each other. No hiding, Right? And to do that, we all have a responsibility to create an environment where you don't feel threatened. Where those embarrassing things about you, if we all know them, you're not going to be loved any less. Right? Um, the Christian should not be telling white lies. And so here... Here I would feel um, we ought to be transparent with one another. Nothing to hide, eh? Nothing to hide. I mean, you don't need to air your dirty laundry, but nothing to hide. I don't want to pretend uh, truth. We're members one of another. I don't, have any, I don't want to hide anything from my fellow members, right? Um, and if there's, if there's a cause of shame in life, well... Let that quickly be dealt with then. <laughs> um, we don't want to embarrass one another, you know. Uh, and I, we don't want to encourage a, um, an environment where failure's okay because it's normal. No, but there should be grace, right? Grace. So that was, that was really what I could find on this. Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. For me, the essence of it is we put away everything that is, tends toward harm, and we be, do only good to one another and be transparent with one another, because we're members one of another. That's what church should be. Nothing to hide. No pretense. Um, just truth. Be ye angry and sin not. Be ye angry and sin not. I bet you nobody in this room has read that and thought, wonder what that's all about. Everyone, it's just obvious, right? We don't even need to cover it. <laughs> what is Apostle talking about here? Yes. Be ye angry and sin not. And there's been various ways as this has been interpreted. Um... I think it was, I won't mention his name, but a very highly esteemed, he's no longer living, revivalist preacher. I think he used it as a commandment that you're supposed to be angry against sin and, you know, and so on. Well, that, you know, some of that may, may be true. The apostle, we all know, gets his language from Psalm 4. Uh, let's turn there. Yeah, it's just very interesting to read the various 
translations and interpretations of the passage from the New Testament. Psalm 4. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Now, you might say, well, why do you think the apostle is using that language? Stand in awe and sin not. It's very common. Um, There's a number of places in the New Testament where they quote the Old Testament in what I call a rabbinic way. They quote it, interpreting it for us. We see it in Hebrews. He says, um, they're quoting, oh dear, is it Psalm 94? Uh, Unto whom I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And sometimes in the same passage he says, wherefore I swear in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest. They're taking a grammatical construction that's difficult, uh, but that is, the meaning is more apparent in the Hebrew, in the idiom, and they're interpreting it as they quote it for their Greek audience. I know a lot of people believe that the apostles quoted the Septuagint, which was the Greek Old Testament at the time, and that may be. But it amounts to the same thing. It is a, uh, a quotation with an interpretation. Stand in awe and sin not. Look with such horror at what you see that you are provoked to anger. Stand in awe. Not the kind of awe where we would look at the Grand Canyon and just like, that's just awe-inspiring. Not that kind of awe. The kind of awe, when, when John in the book of the Revelation saw the whore of Babylon, I wondered with great admiration. That word admiration is not how we use it. We look at, oh, I really admire him. It's entirely positive. But the way John was using it, he was just amazed at the power. He was not positive toward it. He was just amazed by it. That is, he was acknowledging its power not having a, a, a positive affection for it. And this awe here is, uh, is the, the uh, reaction. Stand in awe, right? Ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Leasing is their deceit and lying, right? The Lord will call when I hear. Excuse me, the Lord will hear when I call. The Lord will, um, uh, when I call unto him, the Lord will hear. Stand in awe. Look at this and be horrified at the situation. That there are lying, conniving people trying to destroy. Don't sin. Commune with your own heart upon your bed, right? This is the passage that is the inspiration for the apostles' injunction. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And there's, there's several applications here. Right? Um, <clears throat> in James chapter 4 and verse 17, and this is, the, um, this is the interpretation that takes it as a commandment. 
To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Right? So you see something that's wrong and you're going to deal with it in record time. Right? Don't, don't wait till tomorrow. Deal with it now. That's one application. Right? Be provoked even to anger against sin and Satan and be diligent to rout them today. You see a working that's wrong? Deal with it. Don't just, um, don't just be provoked. Deal with it. That's one interpretation. Do you see that? Be angry and sin not. Act on that anger. So this is, in Matthew's point, righteous anger. Some wickedness has trapped, um, been done. Somebody has been wronged. Something is the devil's running amok. And you're provoked by it. Deal with it instantly. That's one interpretation of that. Second <clears throat> um, Corinthians uh, seven eleven. I think that's right. Behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What re- zeal. What revenge. In all things you've approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So again, coming to Psalm 4. You've seen this that's wrong in your lives in the church. And it has stirred you to be really upset about it. And you have got on it and set it right. This is passage. Um, that would align with that. You're looking at something that's wrong. Yes. Let it affect your heart. This is wrong. And go at it. We... Um, Think a bit about anger. Did you know that anger is good? Yeah. God's angry with the wicked every day. Human beings have the capacity for anger because God does. They have the capacity for love because God does. Right? The reason we are told to be slow to anger is because the selfishness of humanity corrupts everything. And because anger is such a powerful and destructive force, then corrupted by human selfishness, it works on righteousness. Therefore, be slow to anger. It seems to be it's about the last area of our souls to be perfected, is to be angry in the way that Christ was angry. Look at uh, Mark chapter 3. Says the Lord Jesus... <clears throat> And verse 1 and he entered again into a synagogue and there was a man there look at the time which had a withered hand and they watched him whether he would heal them on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him hypocrisy again and he saith unto the man which had the withered hand stand forth and he saith unto them is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil to save life or to kill but they held their peace and when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Then he heals a man. The Lord Jesus looked around at a group of people with anger. He's dealing with things right there in real time. You need anger. as a Now, there's a quote to just lift and misuse, right? When your child is being attacked by a wild animal, you need anger. You don't think, oh, what a shame. 
No, doggy, don't do that. You go in there with a rage and throw that thing off, right? It's good. It's given as a protective mechanism to deal with evil. I remember a man of God talking. He had to, to minister. He said, I was in a rage at the devil as he was casting him out of some oppressed soul. You don't think Jesus is pally-wally with the devil, do you? Uh, man's anger is usually selfish and sinful. James says that. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And so we are to take careful action to release anger appropriately lest it become sin. I don't mean like the world, right? So I'll spare you the time. In the, the book on classroom management that uh, we were given as teachers in university, you know, there's a section there, how to deal with that kid that you really hate. And, you know, you get your pillow by your bed and you pretend the pillow's the student and you just tell the pillow how you feel about it then hit the pillow and basically tell you to knock the stuffing out of the pillow with your fist pretending it's a student so you can release your anger. Or get a towel and, you know, just wring its neck and bite the towel and just release that rage. That's wicked, brethren. That's, you're committing sin in your hearts. That's not what we're talking about. Get a punching bag and just, you know. I mean, that could be exercise, but not the rage thing and pretending you're, you're, you're committing murder in your hearts or assault in your hearts. When we say release it appropriately, means deal with it righteously. Be angry and sin not. So, I mean, we talked about the dog case. And it can be a reflex. Um, let, let's, let's get an example here. Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians. Let's look at a few of these. And brethren, forgive me. I know I'm going over time here. Uh, I, uh, yeah. First Corinthians chapter 5. So you've got this fornicator in the midst. You're puffed up. Have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed should be taken away. And Paul says, deliver him to Satan. Um... For the destruction of the flesh. So if an injustice must be corrected. Deal with it. Right? You should be mourning. You should be grieved at this. And deal with it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We just uh, were in 2 Corinthians 7 I think. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> Is that right? Hmm. Maybe not. Something has gone wrong. No. Uh, yeah. No, I've lost the passage. Yeah, I can't. I'll kind of quote it. I think this is the one. I don't know where it is. Um, is it earlier? Yeah, chapter 2, I beg your pardon. Chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2. Oh, there it is. I did write it right. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. So contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Right? Uh, to this end, 
Sorry, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. Right? Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. So if an injustice must be corrected, settle the matter. Deal with it quickly. If forgiveness is due, forgive quickly. Um, Joshua, I won't, you can read it at your leisure. Joshua chapter 22, uh, verses 9 to 30. There was a passage where the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh and they're now on the other side of Jordan and they say, hey, let's build us an altar. And then the rest of Israel thought, what are you guys doing? And they were going to go and wipe them out. And they talked it through. And they actually came to peace. They, they were pleased with the outcome. If communication and clarification is needed, deal with it promptly. They heard news which sounded like idolatry on the part of their fellow believers. And they were upset by it. So they went to confront them and talk it through. And it was dealt with. Uh, Matthew chapter 1. And again, we have to learn to think when we read the Bible. Just think generally. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her public example, was minded to put her away privately, privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now just think about that. Why was Joseph going to divorce Mary? Why would he do that? He thought that she'd commit adultery, yeah. And he's going to... Being a just man. Now, if you were betrothed, if someone was betrothed to you, brother, and you found out that she had committed adultery, how would you feel? Yeah. <laughs> you feel angry. Look, Proverbs, um, Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 34, jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. Right? We read it and we think Joseph was like, hmm, well that's disappointing. I guess I'll just have to divorce her. You don't think he would have been angered? This is a man... Nor a good man. He's not filled with the Holy Ghost. He's a normal red-blooded man. And he finds out that his um, virgin bride has committed adultery against him before they're coming together. You don't think he was angry? Of course he was. But he didn't let the sun go down upon his wrath. He settled it. He processed his anger. He would have poured out his soul to God. Being a just man and knowing he could not find the culprit, couldn't find the man, not wanting to harm this woman, he settled it in his heart that he would divorce her privately. He didn't let the sun go down upon his wrath lest he become a murderer, lest it fester and consume him. This is the thing. Neither give place to the devil. 
He settled it, right? Whatever the appropriate outcome is, deal with anger in real time, appropriately. Some anger needs to be repented of. So there, that's the answer. If if it's selfish anger, sinful, repent. If it's anger at an injustice, then set the mechanisms in motion to deal today with the injustice. If forgiveness is required, then work it through today. And settle it that you're going to forgive. Do not let anger fester in your soul. Because it will give place to the devil. It's not the only way to give place to the devil. But, uh, but that is one way. <clears throat> All right. Uh, there's a few, few ways we can take this passage. Uh, we talked about be stirred up to wrath when you see sin and deal with it. We talk about um, the legitimate forms of anger and how to deal with them in real time. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that's all we we're going to say on that part. Um, in whatever case, right? Uh, examine yourself. Be stirred to anger against unrighteousness. Have no part of it. Be clear from all unrighteousness. Um, it, when you're provoked, even to the point of fear and anger, don't act rashly, right? If you're provoked to anger, don't sin. But act in the fear of God and um, act promptly to deal with your anger appropriately. We'll leave it there. I'm not going to get into all the ways you can give place to the devil. Um, I'll say this though. Judas got angry at the Lord Jesus and Satan entered into him. Do you remember where Judas got angry at the Lord? When this woman poured out that alabaster box of ointment and the Lord and, and Judas led them, said, Why was this waste made? And the Lord said, Why do you trouble a woman? She's wrought a good work upon me. And Judas went out and sought how he might betray him. You don't think there was anger involved in that? Anger at the at being exposed as a covetous person, anger that their values were different, Satan entered into him. He gave place in his heart to Satan through his anger, his covetousness. Be angry and sin not. He could have reacted in his heart sinfully and repented immediately and he wouldn't have given place to Satan. That reflex could have been dealt with, but he embraced it He let it simmer and fester. He went out. Satan entered into him. He gave place to the devil. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Whether it's a case of um, being provoked to act immediately. Or whether you have experienced anger. Deal with it righteously and promptly. Uh, That is the key. Um, do not allow anger to become sin in you. Less than halfway, where I thought I'd get. Well, I trust there's been something profitable.
in the exposition, brethren. Certainly there's much that's profitable in the reading and understanding of God's word. Let us work only good to our neighbor. Let us be transparent with one another. Let us follow Christ and have such a fervent charity among us that there is no fear. There is no hiding. There's only grace. I was looking forward to that. Um, Whatever we speak, let it minister grace. But uh, that'll be for another time. Let's pray, shall we?